I searched it cover to cover. I even used, going back to electronics, I even used the electronic means at my disposal to do so. If you remember, Ryan talked about computers some time back, about computers are a series of ones and zeros. And so I've, that's been up on the board for a while, so some of you techies might have already perceived that those ones and zeros are the machine equivalent to the word science. And so I threw these ones and zeros through my computer to see what it came back with, and it came back with one hit, and that was 1 Timothy 6.20. O Timothy, keep that which is committed to thy trust, avoiding profane and vain babblings and oppositions of science falsely so-called. People treat, let me first say that, okay, science here is more translated general knowledge. But because this undying faith that people have in science, treating it like a religion, I think it's apropos here to make the application to the actual scientific um, community. See, the problem is science can be wrong, but the Bible cannot be wrong. And time and time again, year after year, we have headlines, headlines on the newspaper, something trying to disprove something that's in the Bible. And then, of course, years later on page 17, there's a retraction. It happens time and time again. And these errors continue today from the scientific world. Let me give you three. Abortion, the lie, the scientific lie that take that abortion does not take a child's life the lie our children's read in cartoons or, or see in cartoons read everywhere they read the lie about billions of years ago and then if we want to just say maybe reach the height of confusion the lie today that literally people and organizations in our in our scientific and even medical community will will deny that there's male and female that's the height of confusion. If you recall in Acts 17.6, where the description was that Jesus' teaching was turning the world upside down. What was really happening, of course, was Jesus was turning it right side up. And we read, as in like Romans 1 and all through the Bible, where people were almost inventing new ways to sin. That's what was turning the, the, the world upside down in a bad way. And we've got to protect our children from the, these false teachings. I saw a quote that I really liked, that while all of this stuff is bad, the, there is something really encouraging, and that is every time a child is born, this childlike faith and innocent is also reborn. And so no matter how many lies get spread, we'll never, you'll, they'll never be able to destroy this childlike faith because it comes every time a child is born. To close out on this topic of faith, even children see that every house has a builder in Hebrews 3 and 4. I think clearly Jesus said, become like little children because of their faith. Children are also forgiving. We've all seen the marvelous cycle that children go through they're friends, and then they fight, and then they're friends again. It's amazing to watch, and there's a lot we can learn from that. Let's talk about us and get practical for a second. You know, maybe someone sent, maybe you send someone a text or call them or send them an email, 
and maybe they don't respond or maybe they don't respond as quickly as they should. You know, if, if you get offended by something like that, you know, remember, people get busy. It's a very hectic life. So give, give people latitude and a wide berth. Now, if you're the one doing the offending, don't just use that as an, as an excuse if you're the offender. Keep in mind that people have feelings. You may walk in the hallway out in the foyer and someone may not make eye contact or speak. Remember, people are busy. There's a lot on people's minds. Now, if you are the offender, don't use that as an excuse again. And if you are the offendee, don't wear your emotions on your sleeve. Give people wide berth. There's a lot of, peop- a lot of things going on in people's lives. I recall the lesson from Aaron last year that applies here, and that is Aaron Reed. And remember how much time we spend at home. We spend so much time at home, and we have all that time to be intimate with our family and get things perfect, and yet we don't get things perfect. We still mess things up in those relationships. And Aaron even had maybe a little formula on the board that talked about this, and And then think about people here in the congregation, our brothers and sisters, and a fraction of the time we have with our family that we have to get the relationships right here. And so we're going to do things wrong, and so we need to give our brothers and sisters latitude. The Bible says in Colossians 3.12, Put on, therefore, as God's elect, holy and beloved, a heart of compassion, kindness, lowliness, meekness, long-suffering, forbearing one another, and forgiving one another, or forgiving each other. If any man have a complaint against any, even as the Lord forgave you, so also do ye. And above all these things, put on love, which is the bond of perfectness. Children are forgiving. They have it down to an art, and so should we. Keep in mind, all these attributes that we're going through, we're learning from our children just as our children are learning from us. The next attribute, children are growing spiritually and physically. And in doing so, they imitate their parents. They look like their parents, uh, act like their parents. You've seen a lot of cute pictures, I'm sure, where, where you take pictures and the little kids are in the big shoes or big boots of their parents. Uh, as they imitate us, here's a cute example. You know, kids will watch a sporting event maybe with their parents and may not have a single clue as to what the rules of the game are, what the game is, anything. And what's the question they ask? Luke knows. Who are we we rooting for? They're imitating us. They want to be like us. And we should imitate Christ at the same time. Ephesians 5.1 Be ye therefore imitators of God as beloved children and walk in love, even as Christ also loved you and gave himself up for us an offering and a sacrifice to God for an odor of sweet smell. So recall, while our children imitate us, we need to be imitating Christ. Children are honest. Many, many verses in the Bible. One, just about the parable of the soils, Luke eight fifteen, And that in the good ground there are such as an honest and good heart. Having heard the word, hold it fast and bring forth fruit with patience. Many verses in the Bible about being honest. And children have a refreshing honesty. My boy takes piano lessons, and if I'm a Luddite at anything, it's music of any kind. So 
but as he's been taking his piano lessons, I've at least endeavored to learn what middle C means, where it is, on the, and even if there's a couple of catchy songs that I like, maybe I can play the intro to it or something. So there was one song I picked out, um, As Long As You Follow, by Fleetwood Mac. And it's an interesting song with a beginning of about 13 notes or so that go in descending fashion, and then pause and then a higher start and another 13 or 14 in a different pattern on down. Very catchy little tune. So I endeavored to do that, I mean, painstakingly writing letters down, write the finger positions down. And of course, Luke was trying to pick it up by ear, which was really encouraging while I was doing all that labor. But after days of that and trying to master that, um, I said, Luke, let me play that song. I mean, so I've got it on my phone. So you need to hear what that song sounds like. And so I played it for him. And he said, oh, yeah, except you don't sound like that. <laughs> uh, it's a refreshing honesty sometimes. My, my mom was raised in eastern Kentucky, a very poor part of eastern Kentucky. And she said sometimes people would try to put on airs there. And uh, the description, which must have meant something in that area, she said... When they would put on airs, it would be like they would walk around like they had corn to sell. I guess that's a meant something back then. But she said one of those practices of putting on airs was people would go to a dry cleaner once, and they would get the dry cleaning bag, and then in the future, all the time, drive around with regular clothes in the dry cleaning bag to make it look like they could afford to go to the dry cleaners all the time. That's putting on airs. But children are not like that. Children are who they are. They basically say, love me for who I am. And that's a real wonderful thing. Uh, Back in the 80s when computers were really just kind of getting started, you know, it took a while to get it to where you could see on the screen what was really going to be printed on the printed page. I mean, some of you probably don't know that, but that took a while. And what they called that was WYSIWYG. What you see is what you get. WYSIWYG. That was a big term back then. Of course, now it's just... Now, of course, when you look at the computer, that's what's going to print out. But children embody this term WYSIWYG. What you see is what you get. And I think we would do well to be like our children with their honesty. Children are always asking. I think Ryan started one of his lessons a couple of weeks ago saying that every morning of his is... You know, he's greeted with 100 questions on different things. Um, Children are asking all the time. They might ask when you pass the the Lord's Supper. Back when we would pass the Lord's Supper, they would say, what are you doing that for? What are you doing that for? And and by the way, I know we all want very, you know, a lot of peace and quiet, and it's a very solemn occasion, but what a a blessing to hear that question. Our children ask that question question about the Lord's Supper uh, emblems being passed. It won't hurt my feelings if your children disrupt by asking that. That's a wonderful thing to hear. They might ask difficult questions about the Bible. Me and my my wife talk about this, you know, explaining things about Abraham offering Isaac. I mean, that is, that's a serious event. And you're trying to communicate that to a child. And you've got to find the right words to kind of say what was going on there. They might ask difficult secular questions as well. Um, I've got, my wife has an amazing car. It's a, it doesn't have a key. It has a push button, and you push the button, and questions emanate from the back seat nonstop. 
And one of the questions recently was, where does wind come from? That's a tough question, so I was able to extricate myself from that relatively well. Um, on one of our trips to Alabama recently, um, it ended with a lightning round of questions. And it was something like, why didn't we go to this congregation? Well, that congregation was a little too far away. Well, why didn't my niece and nephew go to that congregation? Well, they live right by this other congregation. Why don't all congregations teach the same thing? You're right, they really should teach the same thing. How could you ever defeat Spider-Man? I mean, I'm not kidding you. That was, that was the conclusion of the lightning round of questions. Um, you know, with all the questions, and a lot of them about the wind and the physical world that they see around them, I'm a proponent of science, and we should. And like the wind, I tried to reason through where could, where the wind could come through, come from. We should do that. We should reason and give them rational thought, teach them how to do that. But in the end, to give you one more acronym, in the end, I think, I think, the, I think they need to hear God made it that way, because at some point, that's what it all boils down to. It's great if you can. If you have some kind of an advanced physics degree or something and can, and can, can explain everything, but in the end, just like where life came from, I mean, God made it that way. And don't be afraid to say that. I think the more they hear that, the more their faith will be bolstered. And we need to be asking as well. We need to be asking, as we read in Matthew 17, ask and it shall be given unto you. Seek and you shall find. We need to ask God continually for our needs. Children are dependent. Pardon my crooked scrabble board there. Children are dependent. Um, I thought of David Copperfield here by Charles Dickens. It's an example of a, of a child being dependent and not being taken care of. His mother and sibling died after childbirth. He had a terrible, terrible stepfather. He left home. He was what he described as houseless. And after many bad experiences, he decided to embark on a, on a walk to Dover, from London to Dover, 70 miles. And that, that journey for a young boy on his own would have been bad enough, but he was accosted several times. And at some point, he finally had to, I can still see it in my mind if you've read the book, he would see shadowy images coming down the road and worried about what trouble that might bring. He had to jump off the road and hide somewhere, wait for those shadowy figures to pass, and then finally resume his walk. It took forever. We'll come right back to what happened to David. But the Bible says in 1 Timothy 5.8, But if any provideth not for his own, and especially his own household, he hath denied, denied the faith and is worse than an unbeliever. I tried to find something practical here for us. And what I thought of was children, you know, let us do good to them, don't they? Using air quotes, let us do good to them. Of course, they don't really have a choice where we take care of them. Um, but you should let people do good things to you. Don't view life as a series, a complex series of debits and credits where if someone does something for you, you make a note of that mentally, and now you owe them. It doesn't have to be like that. If someone wants to do something good for you, let them 
Give them a blessing. We are dependent on God. Whether we like it or not, we're dependent on God. So we should be dependent and confident. Matthew 6.31, we all know this one. Be not therefore anxious, and then sufficient unto the day is the evil thereof. Ralph mentioned in one of our Tuesday evening devotionals that this is a very difficult verse. I mean, there's a lot of very philosophical verses in the Bible, right, that are difficult to maybe even understand. This is very easy to understand, but very difficult to put in practice, and that's what Ralph was mentioning. Now to close out back where we started on being dependent with David Copperfield. So he made it to his journey to see his aunt, and they took care of him that day and finally gave him some food, and they gave him a room up top that overlooked the ocean, and uh, here was the view. He saw the moonlight, a track of moonlight on the water. And he says, After I had said my prayers and the candle had burned out, I remember how I still sat looking at the moonlight on the water, as if I could hope to read my fortune in it, as in a bright book. Or to see my mother with her child coming from heaven along that shining path to look upon me as she had looked when I last saw her sweet face. He goes on to pray that he would not be houseless again, and he prays for others who are houseless, as he called it. And then he says he floated down the track of moonlight into the world of dreams. Children are dependent. At last he was to be taken care of. Children are loving. We have an amazing bond, God-given bond with our children. We love our children before they know to love us, before they understand anything about love. And God loved us first as well. 1 John 4, 9. Herein was the love of God manifested in us, that God has sent his only begotten Son into the world that we might live through him. Herein is love, not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. And back to faith, which we started from, you know, love did not evolve from some explosion. That's ludicrous. God is love and has always been love, 1 John 4, 16. And we know and have believed the love which God hath in us. God is love. And he that abideth in love abideth in God, and God abideth in him. And finally, you know, we don't need any encouragement to love our children. Like I said, we have that natural God-given bond. But here's another tough verse, Matthew 5, 43. Ye have heard that it was said, Thou shalt love thy neighbor and hate thine enemy. But I say unto you, love your enemies and pray for them that persecute you, that ye may be sons of your Father who is in heaven. Let us learn to be loving like our children. Children are sinless. I'll treat this one pretty summarily. I think we all know this to be true. There's a phrase, a devil's lie, that's used sometimes to describe something that's just particularly heinous. And I think to say that a child could sin is certainly a devil's lie. We know from Ezekiel 18 that a child will not inherit sin from his father. We know from Psalm 139 that we're knitted together in the womb. We know from Genesis 127 we're made in God's image. 
And we know that Jesus said, become like little children. None of these things are compatible with children sinning. And our final um, element here to close out our Scrabble board, children are obedient. Children are obedient to us, we're obedient to God. And and children need to see us be obedient to God. So, So when they imitate us, they will be that way as well when they are older. It's obvious why children need to obey us in deference to our superior wisdom, to our experiences. It's the same between us and God. Children may not under, always understand all the whys to the, to the obedience. Same between us and God. With regard to obedience, it's very critical that children are obedient. But there's a good way and a bad way to get to that obedience. Ryan mentioned in a lesson a little while ago, provoke not your children to wrath. We don't want to cross that line to in demanding obedience that we provoke our children to wrath. And so I'll tell on Ryan for a second here. I was turning the corner one time, and, and Ryan had been correcting a child um, some behavior, with some behavior. And he was just very calmly and being very gentle with, with the child. And it, I don't know if you're like me, it just warms my heart to see a father be gentle with his child. It is just amazing. So let's not provoke our children to wrath. As we are obedient, we'll just notice a couple of verses here. Philemon 2.14, Do all things without murmurings and questionings, that ye may become blameless and harmless, children of God without blemish in the midst of a crooked and perverse generation, among whom ye are seen as lights in the world. And then finally, of course, John 14.15, If ye loved me, if ye love me, you will keep my commandments. We, got, we have to teach our children obedience. If we're going to teach them that, we have to show them how obedient we are. Now, I'll tell you a quick story of a girl in 2 Kings 5 who embodies some of these elements that we've just talked about. We don't know her age. This is a girl who was taken captive by the Syrian army out of Israel. And she was in service in the house of Naaman. She was serving his wife. And this little girl, again, remember childlike faith? This little girl says, oh, that Naaman was with the prophet in Samaria. He would be cured. Well, Naaman's wife tells Naaman. Naaman tells the king of Syria. The king of Syria Syria sends a letter with Naaman to the king of uh, Israel about possibly getting Naaman cured. The king of Israel says, am I God? And he tears his clothes. You see, the king of Israel knew what, what we know from Luke 4.27. And many lepers were in Israel in the time of Elisha the prophet, and none of them was cleansed. I mean, that's the king's mindset at the time. The king of Syria is sending me a letter saying, get Naaman cured. What, what am I supposed to do? But, but then enter Elisha. Enter Elisha, and you know the rest of the story. He is cured of his leprosy. So the full verse is, And many lepers were in Israel in the time of Elisha the prophet, and none of them was cleansed, saving Naaman the Syrian. All because of the faith of a little girl who was taken captive. And this girl embodies the elements, the attributes that we've discussed, especially faith, but obedience in her servants, even as taken in being taken as a slave. 
I think it's a fabulous story there. And one more I'll close with, one more story, this one from literature. There is a, um, an author or a poet named Williams, William Wordsworth, and he spent many years of his life traversing the country and in, and in doing so interacted with a lot of common folk. And when you do that, you, you're exposed to a lot of experiences. And this poem was about one of those experiences. So he runs across a girl, another, this girl, we do know her age, she was eight. And he said, this girl's beauty made him glad. And if you've got a daughter or granddaughter, or even see the children in our Bible classes, you can appreciate what that means. This little girl's beauty made him glad. And he talks to this girl and he says, brothers and sisters, how many may you be? And this single little girl, soul little girl here says seven. And she explains, two are at sea, two at Conway dwell, and two in the churchyard lie. And so they begin to argue. He says, if two in the churchyard lie, that can't be. Then you're five. You're not seven. But she won't have anything to do with that. She insists they're seven. And so it goes like this. Their graves are green, they may be seen, the little maid replied. Twelve steps or more from my mother's door, and they are side by side. My stockings there I often knit, my kerchief there I hem, and there upon the ground I sit and sing a song to them. And often after sunset, sir, when it is light and fair, I take my little porringer and eat my supper there. The first that died was Sister Jane, in bed she moaning lay, till God released her of her pain, and then she went away. So in the churchyard she was laid, and when the grass was dry, together round her grave we played, my brother John and I. And when the ground was white with snow, and I could run and slide, My brother John was forced to go, and he lies by her side. This maid also, just like the maid from 2 Kings, also embodies all of the attributes that we just discussed, especially her faith and not blaming God, joyful still after all the loss that she suffered, forgiving, loving, and all the others that we talked about. To close, I'll just say that Jesus said to become as little children. I think we've seen today that as we train up a child, we in turn learn a great deal from our children. If you're not here, if you're here today and you're not a Christian, today would be a great day to put on the faith of a child so that you can then put on Christ in baptism. Will you become a Christian today? Please do so while we stand and while we sing the song of invitation.